Well, I was waiting for you to dismiss for Children's Church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open His Word this morning. And let's uh, remember those who are grieving and um, those who are... I think about the Freemans as they uh, have just had the second year of Rachel's death. And I think about those who are sick and those who are recovering from sickness. Um, Skip Berger told me the other day that he's you know, have, has been suffering with COVID pneumonia. He still has pneumonia. We need to pray for him. He's not on oxygen now. That's a good thing. Roger Pig is recovering from COVID. I think about Bob Hooker. And then uh, Debbie Ford has been moved to ICU at Norman Regional. And uh, so far they've been able to keep her off the ventilator and she's getting good care. But uh, still a very critical situation for her and for Russ and all of their family. And uh, we could go on and on, couldn't we, with the people that are going through some tough things right now. And I would ask, uh, while you're sitting at home watching this, maybe send somebody a text and just tell them, we're praying for you, we're thinking of you, because we certainly can't mention them all. I don't have that kind of brain capacity to do that. But um, as the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart, you can bless somebody today. And so uh, as we pray for our church family, uh, do that today. Shoot a text to somebody and just be a blessing to them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we think about these times in which we live where so much seems to be coming against us. And it makes us feel weak. It makes us sometimes feel fearful. It makes us certainly feel vulnerable. It confronts us with our own mortality. And it also shows us just how incapable we are of doing the things that matter the most. We would like to think we're strong and powerful. We'd like to think that we're smart. We would like to think that we are the agents of change. But people only live and they only die by your decree and by you as the sustainer, the giver and sustainer of life. We think about nations. You're the one, the book of Daniel says, it causes kings to rise and kings to fall. It's not us. Nations to rise and nations to fall. You're the one and the only one who can bring revival, renewal, spiritual awakening, and we certainly pray that you do. And when we think about all of the things that we face, whether it is economically or problems in our family, in our marriage, or with our children, whether it is something going on in society that we don't like and we would try to stand against us, but it seems like we are standing against a tsunami. That's why we come to you, Lord, because it is through prayer that we are reminded of our inadequacy, but we're reminded of your power, your greatness, your sovereignty, and your sufficiency in all things. And so, Father, we want to pray for our church today. We're your body, we're your bride, you're with us, you love us, you died for us, you defend us, you pray for us. Oh, bless our church family today. Bless us in our worship, bless us in our walk, bless us in uh, our sanctification. And Lord, as we see our people that suffer, we ask you to comfort those who are grieving we ask you, Father, to heal those who are sick. We ask you, Father, to do a work in the lives of our 
children, in the lives of our parents, in the lives of our spouse, in, in our families, please work and do a great and wonderful thing. Bless us in our evangelism that you would give us opportunities to testify of Christ and lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, as we look into your word that we might behold wonderful things in your laws, the psalmist said. And I pray that it would feed and nourish our soul and encourage our hearts and cause us to love you more. And Lord, as we think about the nation in which we live, we're reminded you told us to pray for kings and all in authority. And we do pray for our president and vice president. We pray for those who are in the Senate and the House of Representatives. We pray for our governor and our state legislators. And we pray, Father, for our mayor and city council people. We pray for school boards and we pray for judges. Oh, Father, we pray for their salvation. We pray for their wisdom. And we pray for a great movement of God that you might have mercy on this nation of ours that you have given us. And so, Lord, we submit to you, surrender to you, and we ask you to bless as we look into your word now. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you'll take your Bibles this morning and let's go once again to the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus. And uh, we have gone through the golden calf experience. And we have gone through the restoration of uh, this nation of Israel while they're in the wilderness. They have humbled themselves and the Lord has forgiven them. But their fellowship with God has not been completely restored. Now, what's the difference between fellowship and relationship? Now, as you know, I have three children. And let's say that uh, we'll pick on Taylor since he's not here and not in the state. But let's say that he does something that breaks fellowship between me and him. Does that stop him from being my son? Absolutely not. And does that stop him from... Uh, Having me as his father? Absolutely not. But it may mean that when we do talk, it might be strained. There might be a time where it's hard for us to talk. It might be that uh, I love him, but at that particular time, I can't really pour that love out upon him like I would because the fellowship is broken. And that happens between you and me and the Lord sometimes as well. It's not that the Lord is no longer our Father. Our relationship is intact. Once you're born, you cannot be unborn, in other words. But sometimes the fellowship is strained. Think of the prodigal son. Did his father love him when he was in the hog pen and when he was living the uh, sinful life in the far city? Of course he did. But the father could not lavish his love on him until he repented and until he came home. And when the prodigal came home, the father ran to meet him because he was just as eager, if not more so, to bring reconciliation than the son was. And the father shared his life with his son once the son came home. And so Israel is in this situation where they are still the people of God, but things are not quite where they need to be in order for God to be in their presence and not consume them and for God to manifest His presence there in a way that will be a blessing to Israel. And one of the things that you'll notice as we go through, uh, particularly this chapter, Moses 
is burdened about that. Moses cannot stand the fact that the people of God who had been rescued from Egypt, who had been brought through the Red Sea, who had been blessed by God, protected by God, fed by God, given water by God, that they now would not enjoy the blessings of God. Now there are a couple of reasons that I think that this happened. I think it's, first of all, to uh, show God's people that without God you can do nothing. Isn't that what Jesus said? Apart from me, ye can do nothing. I think the other thing is to show them the gravity of sin. It's too easy to sin and go, well, that's just normal. Well, everybody does this. Well, it wasn't that big of a sin. Well, God hates every sin. Now, we don't want to categorize sin and say, well, all sin is the same because it's not. Some sins are called abominations. Some are called transgressions. Some are called iniquities. There are various terms for sin. And God hates all sin, but there's some sin that he hates worse than others and they have more dire consequences and this idolatry here was certainly one of those and so Moses the intercessor has to go before God on behalf of the people of God and as we look at him going before the uh, the Lord on behalf of the people we uh, look at the things that he says and we're going to answer the question, what made Moses a great intercessor? If there's anything that we need in our life today is to learn to pray. And what we do sometimes naturally, you know, like we tell our little children, just talk to God. That's a good start. But if you really want to be an intercessor, you need to go to the Word of God. See how people prayed in the Bible. Learn from those prayers. See how Jesus prayed. Even the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. We've got to learn it. We've got to be, as one person said, in the school of prayer with the Lord. And so we're going to do that today. Class is getting ready to start. And we're going to use Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 18. What made Moses such a great intercessor? Well, verse 12 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, uh, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. In other words, is it going to be your presence, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, or just an angel, or something like that? How are we going to uh, know, and how are we going to experience your leadership in all of this. And then he goes on to say, Yet you have said, so he's referring back to something in the past, quote, I know you by name, and you have also found, your Bible may say favor, I think a better translation is what mine has in the New King James, grace, because the favor of God is always grace. It's always, always unmerited, right? You have also found favor or grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have, Moses says, found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. You know, uh, there's always more grace, folks. 
Don't think that just because you got saved by grace that you don't need grace for every day. You need living grace, sanctifying grace. You need dying grace when that time comes. There's uh, several different types of grace. And in, I believe it's the book of James, it says he gives more grace. And that's what Moses is asking for here. That I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Let's pick up again. And consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us. So we shall be separate. And that word could also be translated, we could be holy. So we shall be separate or holy, your people and I, from all the people who are on, upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing, that you have spoken or that you have asked, for you have found, here we are again, grace or favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Verse 18, and he said, Please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Now, one thing is very clear here, that when you read what Moses says and you look at his actions and what he has done before and what he's going to do after this Moses did want to take the people out of Egypt Moses did want the people to get to the promised land there's no question about that but there's something that he wanted more than the land there's something that he wanted more than to get the people over there and get them settled in the land is he wanted to know God and find grace or favor with God. He wanted to please the Lord. You know, you've heard it said many times from this pulpit by me and other speakers, what, what is it that we're the most interested in, the gift or the giver, the blessing or the blesser? And far too often we get enthralled with the things that God does for us, the things that he gives us, and yet we're not really all that enthralled by him. We kind of have this, uh, Lord, what have you done for me lately? And if God seems to be working, setting things up for us, favoring our lives in the way we think that that favor should be shown, big things as well as little things, we feel pretty good and we feel pretty secure. But when God doesn't seem to be moving and acting as we would define it, now, remember, Jesus said, my father is always at work. So don't think that if you're in a dry spell, if you're in a desert spell in your life, that God has somehow quit working because he's always at work. And just as at this time of the year we look at a tree and it looks dead, and yet it's just simply dormant, this is a time for the tree to rest. 
And this is a time for the tree to get ready for the spring and ready if it's a fruit tree for the harvest. The roots are going deeper. The tree is still alive. Something is still happening. We just can't see it. And in those times in our life where we seem to be dormant, we seem to be in a desert, it seems as though God is not working. Be assured that he still is and that there is a purpose during those times that is just as needful and just as valuable in your life as a time when fruit just seems to be popping out everywhere and all of your prayers are answered. Don't, don't fall for this kind of thing. Be a lover of God and a worshiper of God and consider that every situation in your life, whether it's good or whether it's bad, by our estimation, of course, that is always an opportunity to worship the Lord, to show that we are separate, that we are distinct, and that we are holy. And isn't that what Moses prayed? He said, if you're not going to go with us, then don't take us anywhere, for how shall we be seen as being separate or holy or different from the other nations? The one thing that distinguishes us from everyone else is your presence with us and our worship of you. And that's where they had failed so miserably. The people of God had assumed that because Moses was gone, then God was no longer with them, and they needed to fashion a God, and they made a golden calf. And so uh, then that became their God, and they worshipped and offered offerings unto that. And no wonder the true and the living God was provoked by that, because God's presence is not seen by a person. Have you ever had a time to where if you were with the right person or if the right person were occupying a pulpit or a pastor, everything was wonderful and God is with us and then when that person is gone, then what happened to God? That's what the people of Israel did and that's why they fell into sin. They tied God and His presence to a person. And yet they didn't understand that this person, this person Moses, was the one who said, look, there's something greater than getting a land. There's something greater than being free from Egypt. There's something greater than walking through the Red Sea. There's something greater than all of this. Those are blessings and we should be thankful for them. But it's God that we really, really need. And so he prays in this, I want to know your ways so that I can know you. And this is the man who talked to God face-to-face at that tent of meeting just a few verses earlier. This is the man who met God at the burning bush. And yet, what is happening here? Moses said, it's not enough. I want to know you more. And ends this particular section of Scripture that we're looking at by saying, show me your glory. Do you have that kind of passion? Do you have that kind of love for God? Do you look beyond the things that He does? And the things that he gives, do you look beyond all of that to see him and to want to know him more and wanting to glorify him and certainly to see his glory? That's where we need to be. And folks, that's basically where we need to repent. That's where we really fall short of the glory of God. So with all of that as kind of an introduction, let's answer the question. When you think about Moses and the greatness and the power of his intercession, let's consider this. God's grace, which is mentioned several times in what we've read, 
God's grace made Moses more confident in God's word. Now, grace will save you. That's saving grace. But sanctifying grace is going to bring you to the place to where you trust God more than you trust your feelings, more than you trust the opinions of other people, more than you trust your circumstances on all of those things that are going on around you. Sanctifying grace will bring you to the point where you start growing in the Lord by reading and studying and understanding his word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, Paul wrote to Timothy, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. What was he talking about? A person who is rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly dividing there is a Greek word that Paul would have used for tent making. It meant cut it straight. In other words, follow the pattern. So if you were trying to put together a tent, or if you're trying to make a dress or whatever you might be doing, you have a pattern that you use, and you follow the pattern. You cut it straight so that it all can fit together. And there are so many people today that are not cutting the word straight. They're playing with it. They're taking it out of context. They're lifting out verses and phrases that they like without looking at the whole paragraph of what God is saying. They misunderstand it. They define it the way they want it to be defined instead of the way God has written it. And so they're not growing in the Lord. And they're constantly disappointed in God because God is not behaving the way that they would expect Him to behave. They're claiming promises that were not given to them. And they are standing on principles that are flawed. And so what God does by His sanctifying grace through the presence of His Holy Spirit, through teachers and pastors, of course, but this has got to be the work of God, He begins to show us what His Word says. And we begin to stand on the Word of God, like the little song says, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, remember that? I stand alone, alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Oh, if we could only learn to do that. The storms may be blowing around me, but I stand on the Word of God. The earth may be shaking around me, but I stand on the Word of God. The pressure of the crowd may be coming against me, but I stand on the Word of God. This is what Moses was doing. You find Moses, that when this section of Scripture begins, Moses said to the Lord, look at this, See you say to me. What is that? A reference to God's word. And what did God say? Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Here it is again. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. What is he appealing to? He said, there's some things going on here that I don't understand, but I know what you have said. I know what you have said, that you don't veer from that, you don't change from that. It is something that is eternal because you don't change and you don't back away from your word. If you'll turn in your Bibles back to the burning bush experience in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians Exodus chapter 3, and look at verse 4. This is God speaking to Moses. This is what Moses is making reference to as he prays for the people. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. What did Moses say in chapter 33? 
you know me by name, right? Well, that's proof. And Moses said, here I am. Then the Lord said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Isn't that interesting? Because in the chapter we read in 33, he says, Show me your glory. And the Lord says, You can't look upon my glory and live. It's interesting how Moses has progressed from so fearful to now having bold confidence before God. Let's continue on in Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the, land, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up uh, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, look at this, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So when you think about Moses, he's at a place he didn't expect to be. If you go back to Exodus chapter 3 and you look at what Moses said, and you remember how intimidated he was by all of that. Well, now after bringing the people out of Egypt and bringing them through the Red Sea, you can imagine Moses' confidence in God is sky high. I mean, he is soaring now as he thinks about all of this. And what has happened as a result of that? He goes up to meet with God on the mountain. The people make an idol. They worship the idol. And God's presence is withdrawn from them. And Moses is at a place he didn't really expect to be. I don't think Moses ever expected that the wilderness journey would last 40 years. I don't think that Moses ever expected that the people of God, after the miracles that they had experienced, the miracles of the grace and the power and the mercy of God. I don't think he ever expected that he would have to battle idolatry out of them. I don't think he ever expected that it would be his own brother that would make the calf for them. Do you? And I think as Moses looks at this and he goes, God, where are you in this? How are you going to lead us out of this? And what is wrong with these people? And why are we stuck out here where we are? This doesn't seem to fit with what God said at the burning bush. Have you ever felt like that? Has your life ever taken a turn that you didn't expect? Has your life led you to a place you didn't really expect to be or necessarily want to be? Are there failures and sins in your life that a few years back or maybe when you were first saved you would have said, I will never do anything like that and yet you have? This is the human experience. This is the way fallen creatures 
that are depraved. This is the way we live. This is what we do. This is why we need so desperately the grace of God and why we need an intercessor. The people of Israel needed Moses. Moses was a picture of Christ, and you and I desperately need the intercession of Christ for us as he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so Moses is appealing back to the word of God and the grace of God gave him a greater confidence in this. Everything Moses sees probably looks completely different than what he would have understood at the burning bush. And yet his confidence in what God has said has not shaken him. He stands on the word of God. This is what you say, and this is what you have said, and this is where I stand regardless of what I feel and regardless of what is going on in the lives of the people or our circumstances, and this is why I come to you. And by the way, how do you know that your only hope is in God? Because you turn to him when you feel hopeless. Prayer is our call to worship God in spite of how we feel and in spite of our circumstances. What made Moses a great intercessor? It's because the grace of God gave him confidence in the word of God. And he appeals to the word and stands on the word as should you and I. Number two, what made Moses a great intercessor? Think about this. The more Moses knew of God, the more he wanted to know. The more Moses knew of God, the more he wanted to know. That's why we study the scripture, to get to know God. That's why we pray. Prayer is not our way of getting the supreme ruler of the universe to give us what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. He may do that but it's mainly so that we might get to know God. That's what was on the heart of Moses. Moses certainly had the other things on his mind because he does talk about leading the people out and will you go with us, but more importantly than that. Verse 13, Now therefore I pray, if I have, and probably better translated, since I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. There are a lot of people who know God, but they don't know his ways. When you first got saved, you came to know Christ. You came to know the God of the universe as your Lord and Savior and as your master, but you sure didn't know his ways, did you? But sanctifying grace through the word of God has taught you how God wants you to live, and you are learning the ways of God. That's what Moses is praying for, I need to know your way. There's a lot that bewilders me. There's a lot I don't understand. Show me your way. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know why you're doing it. I want to know how I'm supposed to react to this. How am I supposed to live through this? I want to know what my role is in all of this. Show me your way. The psalmist uh, prayed this to the Lord. As he said, teach me your ways, O Lord. You'll find that throughout the Psalms. Well, that's what Moses is praying. Show me now your way. Well, good enough. But notice that right after that is the word that. There's a purpose clause. Why do I want to know the way of God? That I may know you. That I may know you. Why do we come to church? That we may know him. Why do we pray? Why do we have a quiet time every day? 
that I may know him. Why do I give offerings to the Lord that I may know him and his generosity? Why do I tell other people about Jesus that I may know him and share his good news and grace with other people? And we could go on and on and on. Why do I restrain myself from sin and battle against sin? Because I want to know him as the Holy One, the one who is pure. Why do I want to defeat the enemy? Because I want to know him because he is the victorious one. And so Moses was driven by this. The more that he knew, the more that he wanted to know. An unquenchable thirst for God. As the deer pants by the rivers of water, so my soul longeth after thee, the psalmist wrote. And so that's where we are with God. The more we know, the more we want to know. At least I hope that's true in your life. What made Moses a great intercessor? Number three, Moses' love for God intensified his love for God's people. Say that again. Moses' love for God intensified his love for God's people. Do you suppose Moses was in a situation where he was thinking, why was I called to this ministry? These people don't love God. These people are stubborn. They're obstinate. Moses looked at that and he said, if I love God, how can I help but love the people of God. In fact, when you read in the book of 1 John, that's a test of salvation. If you say you love God, but you don't love God's people, then the Bible says very plainly that you're a liar. That's why we gather. This is why we fellowship. This is why we want to be together. And on days like this when we can't, our hearts long to be together. Why? Because loving God means loving our neighbor and it also means loving his other children. And that's where Moses is on all of this. What is it that compels him? Love for God intensified his love for God's people. He said, and consider that this nation is your people. Isn't that what God said in Exodus 3? Verse 14, he says, and uh, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, if or since your presence, or pardon me, if your presence does not go with us, then don't bring us up from here. Why? Because then we have nothing to show to the rest of the world. We're no different than the other nations. We're no different than Egypt. If your presence is with us, then we're set apart. We're holy. We are different than all of this. And if you're not going to bring us out, then, uh, you know, don't bother bringing me. I'm with the people. Isn't that what he's saying in these verses? And I'm going to be holy, and I want your people to be holy, and uh, all of this will be done to bring you glory. I find it very interesting that as frustrated and as angry as Moses would ever get with the people of God, he always identified with them. In the book of Hebrews, it says that he wouldn't stay in Pharaoh's palace because he identified with the people of God. When he went back to Pharaoh, all of those years later, it said that God said, let my people go. Moses identified with them. And then even when the sovereign of the universe is angry with the people's sin, Moses said, if you're not going to forgive them, then blot my name out too. Kill me as well. And if you're not going to go with us, then just leave us here. There's no sense of us going any further. He identified with them. And I believe God would call us 
to where when we look at our church and we look at the sin that is in our church because we are indeed sinful people, when we see the sin in our own personal life and in our family, what do we do with all of that? We take it to the Lord, but we don't bail. We don't run. We don't stop. We don't look for a more perfect mate. We don't look for a more perfect church. We don't do that. We dig in and we love the people of God that we have a burning desire to see them either saved if they're lost, because there are lost church members, or a burning desire fueled by love to see them truly sanctified. We're in the trenches with them. We're walking with them. We are battling for them. There may be somebody today that you're praying for and they've just dropped their shield of faith and their sword. What are you going to do? Run and look for somebody who's fighting a little better? Or do you run to those who are wounded? Do you run to those who are even unfaithful and put your shield of faith in front of them and you both so that the enemy cannot have them and is defeated in their life? We've got to have a passion for the people of God. And that's what made Moses a great intercessor. He loved God's people. And number four, Moses was consumed with seeing the God that he loved glorified. And that's why he says in verse 17, So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you have spoken. Well, that's good to hear. That's good when God says yes to a prayer that we pray, to a desire that we have. And he says, Now to make it clear, for you have found grace. It's not because you deserved it. It's not because you prayed right. It's not because you hit all the bases in specific prayer. It's not because you had a lot of people praying for you. It's for one reason. You have found grace. Undeserved favor. Let's remember Moses was a commandment breaker as well. The people of God had broken the commandment not to make a graven image and not to worship any other god. But let's also remember Moses had murdered an Egyptian all those years ago. Moses had an anger problem. We find that over and over in his life and it eventually led to his downfall. He too was a commandment breaker and the only reason he had any right to intercede for the people is because he found grace, undeserved favor in the eyes of the Lord. You found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And what is Moses' response to that? It's not enough, Lord. It's not enough. And we might, without reading the next verse, go, what more could you ask for, Moses? What more could take place? And Moses says this, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. How is God glorified? He's glorified in everything that he does. He's glorified in all of the aspects of our life. He is leading us in a path that is going to bring us to glory. We're going to have a glorified body one day. We're going to be in the presence of God. That's glory. But in the meantime, as he takes us through it, he gives us glimpses. Moses, in the next few verses, is going to get just a little glimpse of the glory of God And that's what happens in our lives. There are those times when we are singing to the Lord and the Lord's presence is so real and we get what the hymn writers would say, a foretaste of glory divine. 
There are those times when you pray, and I mean before you get the words out of your mouth, you have assurance it's going to be answered. And sometimes the answer even comes before you can finish the prayer. Oh, foretaste of glory. But there are those other times when, like Moses in the wilderness, where are you? What are you doing? How do I fit into all of this? What is going on? Oh, Lord, I need to know, and I want to know you. And in this desert place, and in the midst of this disobedient people, in the midst of these times that are so joyless and somber, as we have seen, show me your glory. Do what glorifies you the most, we might say. Is that really where your prayer is? Because if your prayer is more about, I've got this shopping list, Lord, and I want these all done by 4 o'clock this afternoon, then you're missing the mark because sin is defined as falling short of the glory of God. And how many times, even when we pray, do we still fall short of the glory of God? Our friend Ed Lacey, who is another one that has COVID pneumonia and is battling for his life, a few years ago, he commented on Philippians 1, 20 and 21, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored or glorified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can I read to you what Brother Ed wrote about this? And this is what he's living out now. In fact, we're living it out whether we realize it or not. Every adversity, including the adversity of severe sickness, is a call to worship. It is a divine summons to place the totality of your life on the altar of the New Testament consecration sacrifice of worship, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It is that personal place of absolute surrender where I sincerely declare to my Lord, who is my life, that Christ be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, as Paul said. Lord Jesus, if you can be magnified most by my healing so that I may continue to serve you and your great mission in this world, so be it. And Lord Jesus, if you can be most magnified by my going home and going to heaven to be with you, so be it. And that's where we've got to end up. To know that as we stand on the word of God, like Moses did, to know that as we are going through these things that we've talked about this morning, we've got to land on God being glorified because that's what it's all about and that's where the power is and that's where the victory is. So may we close in prayer and I do thank you so much for watching this today. I look forward to being uh, back together, all of us together again and uh, one day that'll happen. And for sure, it's going to happen in heaven for an eternity. Let's not take our eyes off of the glory of God. Join with me in prayer, please. 
Father, for those who don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, we pray for them and make our appeal to them that they would repent of their sins and that they would believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our prayer is for those of us that are saved, that we would never ever be content with where we've been, what we've experienced, but we would hunger and thirst for more, that we would stand on your word, that we would desire to know you more and to know you better, that we would have a deeper love for you and a love for your people, as sinful and inadequate as we are, and we would always be focused on your glory so that whether by life or by death, we might bring glory to God for, like Paul, to live is just Christ and to die is more of the same for eternity. Bring us to that point. Be patient with us. And thank you, Lord, for teaching us these principles out of your Old Testament written thousands of years ago and yet so relevant for believers today. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for watching. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you, Pastor. Just a couple of announcements before you leave us. Uh, no evening service or choirs tonight. The baby shower for the prices will be rescheduled. You'll get information on that this week. We'll be back on a regular schedule this Wednesday night. If any of you are bored this afternoon and need to get out looking for something to do, there are places on the front of our building where it is constant shade. If you could bring a, a shovel up and take care of those walks or some of the drifts that are out there in our front drive. We would love for you to come by and do that. Brother Isaac. Church family, this week is United uh, Weekend Conference, uh, Discipleship Now for the students. Uh, it will be this Saturday, or sorry, this Friday and Saturday, but we will have a Wednesday night rally to kind of kick off and get excited for the weekend. Uh, the rally is free to come to. Any student is allowed to come, but for the weekend, uh, we do need to know that the students who are coming have signed up, have paid, um, T-shirts ready for them and all, everything like that. On Wednesday, the first session, uh, sorry, the Wednesday night will be at 6.30, regular time for us, but we'll actually be meeting at Eagle Heights, which is where the, com the weekend will be taking place. And then the first session on Friday will be at 7 p.m. More information will be available this Wednesday, uh, so please get a hand handout copy, and uh, anything else that you may need questions answered for. Thank you, Brother Isaac. Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you Wednesday night.